Jurassic Unicorn, yeah, 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 doodly badly do. Welcome to the Jurassic Unicorn podcast, also called June, Junecast. Uh, we're going to discuss uh, the fascinating topic of creativity and specifically topics like what motivates creativity, uh, the many forms that it can take. And how to make it count, which isn't always easy in today's world. There's a lot of creatives mm. out there. That's a good one. So uh, we're going to be a little bit cerebral, a little intellectual, but more often than not experiential. Um, Race and I mm. both have over a decade apiece in creative fields, mm-hmm. actually quite a bit different uh, sets of experience, which is kind of helpful, you know, cover some of each other's blind spots. But there's also a lot of commonalities in what we've done. And uh, actually, why don't you kind of go into it? What, what have you been up to, Race? Recently, I do more art direction than anything. So I am an art director in the uh, theme park industry primarily. And I've been working for Universal Studios Japan. And I've also done some film work. I've also done some art direction for some video game stuff that's that's happening recently. And uh, that's been a lot of fun. What got me to that point, a lot of concept art, uh, really into characters, really into world building, storytelling won a tv show way back in the day called uh, face off yeah so yeah we were all watching that was pretty awesome so that was, that was uh, unbelievable hopefully that you know uh, at least at least gives me enough credibility to talk about creativity you know, we'll, we'll get more into that you know that was that was a really fun adventure and yeah i'm also a, a clinical associate professor at the university of idaho and i primarily teach uh, storytelling world building character design and that's uh, been a lot of fun. We we play with some cool technology, uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, build a lot of worlds in uh, real-time environments or gaming environments, and a lot of really fun visualizations, too, for, you know, scientific stuff. But uh, the area that of my expertise is venturing into the entertainment industry for a lot of those students. Oh, very cool. So a little bit about myself. I went through a little bit of a different path. I was actually going to be a dentist. I spent four years uh, going into dentistry, doing biology and, and chemistry, and um, and then I actually went to go job shadow a dentist, actually several, and they were extracting wisdom teeth and all these things, and and I, I probably should have shadowed year one, not year four, because uh, I remember this. I remember this time this this dentist, like he he had this uh, poor man on uh this chair and, and he's kind of like up on him a little bit he's got these pliers and he's trying to remove this old rotten dead tooth and he reaches in with these just gnarly looking stainless steel pliers and clamps on and then just starts to jiggle it back and forth and all of a sudden you hear this snap and there's a little explosion <laughs> as the tooth just shatters and then he reaches in for the rest of it because it hadn't come out yet and snap and like six times like snap after snap and every time i'm looking i just kind of like i'm watching him with my eyes wide open i look over to the patient and every time it happens he just like his whole body just tremors as this explosion <laughs> of anyways so at that moment i was kind of like oh, i'm in the wrong field um i i had been an artist my whole life been into design i think i just kind of got the idea that oh dentists make a lot of money and you know, it's nice when creativity and um, maybe good uh, opportunities for or financial opportunities when they work together 
finances and things like that can't all really can't be the motivator for creativity that I don't think maybe, maybe yeah. not the main motivator. Um, so I hopped out of that. I, I got a degree in computer science. I also got a degree in digital design. That's where, where race and I hung out, um, virtual technology and design. That's actually, uh, the, the, uh, the discipline that you're a professor for, you came back and, mm-hmm. and yep, teach that. Yep, that, that specific program. And over the last decade, I've ran a user experience team, uh, for an, an engineering firm called Schweitzer Engineering, and they work on critical infrastructure, things that, that help keep the lights on across the country, across the world. And yeah, so developing a lot of products for them. It's been quite the endeavor. We work in a, a research and development with a lot of people in it. So being able to influence and being able to come in and sit down at the table and you know basically tell a whole bunch of brilliant people that they should maybe make their product this way, or here's some ways that would enhance, uh, you know, this aspect of it. You know, it, it's kind of a humbling thing because traditionally they were the ones that were in charge of all of that vision. And, and so obviously being a part of UX means that we need to be part of that vision with them as well. So that's been a long endeavor of, of not just training the team, not just doing user experience, but also organizational change, helping a whole bunch of people really adopt uh, UX, UX principles, change their processes. So there's a lot there. And uh, I started at, actually as a software engineer, which, you know, it it's probably not your most traditional, maybe, um, or what you'd think of when you think about creativity and painting and drawing. I mean, we're just talking about basically DOS. You're just looking at, I mean, there's, there's coding editors now that make the code colorful. So it's very nice. Yes. So all your variables and all of your function calls and, and, you know, they all make a little rainbow on there. But in reality, um, software architecture, um, just I, I realized really quickly that you could basically make anything in, in the virtual world. And software engineering uh, became maybe one of my, my favorite creative expressions. So pretty cool there. But yeah, so I run that team. Um, if you're not familiar with the terms UI, UX. That just means user interface and user experience. And it's essentially just making sure that the products are pleasing aesthetically, but also that they perform an intended purpose. So they're actually useful. You don't just want something that looks great and sucks when you actually get into it. So Mm. yeah, there's a little bit of psychology behind it as well. Awesome. But, uh, but race, let let me know, like, uh, kind of what got you into design? So what, what led you on this journey? It, uh, it really felt like it was something that I couldn't get away from in a lot of ways. So when I was a young lad, I was always really creative. I was always designing something. Um, most of it was storytelling. I was that classic child out there in the playground that was kind of on his own adventure, you know, fighting off monsters and stuff, but no one was there. So for some children, I'm sure I was, you know, a little scary. But uh, yeah, I was, I was really imaginative as a kid and it was something that I felt stuck with me and was always kind of calling out to me, something I couldn't get away from. felt like everything I was doing, I was trying to reinvent it or, t- or look at it from a different angle, a different perspective. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's kind of something that's tied to my core. In fact, I feel that when it comes to creativity, it's something that we, we all have in us. It's something that's very... Um, hmm innate something that's that's primitive to to what we are and i think that if we don't feed that beast or or use that muscle i think it can atrophy and actually put us in some dark places so 
I think it's key to life, you know, telling stories, trying to think of something new, looking at reality in maybe a different way in a different perspective. Oh, very cool. Do you have any experiences where you felt that stifled or? Yeah, I think, I think when you grow up, you, you're, you're kind of told all of these things, you know, there's kind of like a way of the world. There's kind of a Hmm. organization to it. There's very known paths and journeys that people can take. And I think what, what's frustrating to parents and actually being a parent, I understand this probably more now than ever, but when you're a parent, when you're up here, when you're, you know, uh, friends, family with somebody, you always want to give guidance and uh, have that guidance be something you think would, would genuinely help them. Right. But I think what happens to creative sometimes is the people that they love the most will actually tell them, Hey, yeah, definitely be creative, but there's this thing called a job and you have to actually support yourself. You know, you actually need to make money. We, we live in a world where you, you, you must follow these, these things. And it's easy to get kind of discouraged with creativity to where you're like, okay, I want to do this thing. I want to be an artist. I want to, you know, make movies. I want to create creatures and, and sure worlds and, and all that fun stuff. But how do you make money at it? And then you look at the entertainment industry and you go, okay, well, well, that's, that's a way to make money at it. But then you grow up in Southeast Idaho. It is challenging growing up in a part of the world that isn't necessarily known for entertainment. You know, it's known for its agriculture. I like what you said. I, I, you were uh, talking about how there's kind of an established way, you know, you look at these gatekeepers, kind of these rules and yes, we need constraints, but creativity and rules, man, they're definitely in conflict, especially when people start to say, this is the way it's always, always been and way, the way it's done. And you look at things like YouTube, you look at things like Robin Hood, you know, creative ways to invest, opening, basically opening uh, the playing field to all of those people without agents, without brokers, the people who aren't rich, the people who haven't been recognized maybe through the system. I love that because it is the accessibility of creativity is different. You know, when, when me and you were growing up in Idaho and getting jobs in you know, in construction or in the fields or, you know, you, you start to realize that um, we didn't really have a lot of outlets. We, we could paint some pictures, we could tell some stories, but even if we had, you know, an animation, a video, where, where would we have put it? Build our own website. Websites were just kicking off when we were young, yeah. you know, it's like make so, a MySpace. Yeah. Yeah. yeah MySpace. <laughs> uh, it's like, it's like, where, yeah. Where do we showcase that? Uh, the local theater, maybe some people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it, it wasn't as available. And so right now you have these platforms that make it incredibly easy to get yourself out there and show your content and put yourself sort of on the stage to be, you know, looked at. It's, it's incredible, you know, what uh, young creatives get to participate in. Um, at the same time, there's something to be said about growing up away from it because your perspective might be a little different. Mm. I, I think one thing that you see in a lot of medias is everyone tends to kind of copy the the greatest thing. You know, this is the popular thing. Sure. That's what people are doing. So let's try to map what we do based on this and we'll, we'll achieve the same level of success, but it doesn't always work. And a lot of it is because you forget to put yourself into it along you, the way. <laughs> you, ever, you have an experience doing that? I think going back to the show, I was on a um, television show called Face Off. Uh, no, it's not the movie with Nicolas Cage. And um, who, who's the other fella? 
uh i've never seen it yeah there's a whole movie (laughs) it's called face off it has uh, john travolta and nicholas cage so yeah not that face off um but the television show on uh, sci-fi and i was in season two and uh, i'd been excited about monsters and makeup effects for years a huge fan of predator and uh H.R. Giger, who created the the design for the Aliens movies, you know, and they they a huge inspiration, but also kind of put me on that path. And what happens is like I got on the show and I probably shouldn't have gotten on the show because I didn't really have the experience, but I did get on the show and somehow survived it to the end. Right. But and one <clears throat> I did. I did win uh, somehow. <laughs> some I, I think I got kind of lucky, but I came into that competition, not really having a good foundation in that world in, and the only experience I had with entertainment was what I saw from my living room, you know, or in the theater, but I wasn't around it. I wasn't in LA. I was in Idaho. We, we spent more time eating potatoes and we spent, uh, you know, and some French fries making creative (laughs) things. So what I'm hearing you say is it was pretty significant that you were able to walk in there with a bunch of people who had you know, these creative experiences and foundations and still win. Good job, Race. Yeah, that, that's where the <laughs> luck comes in. You know, I got lucky. But the, the thing I think that I really, when I look back on it, the thing that really kind of drove me through that whole thing is I shouldn't even be here. You mm-hmm. know, I was like, I'm on this stage and I don't belong here. So this is an opportunity. You know, uh, a lot of the social media wasn't really happening at that time. This is an opportunity to show the world that I, I have some skills you know i took advantage of that and i think living day to day kind of embracing the moments letting the creativity fall out and at the end of the day like my my motto is it didn't matter how technically sound anything Mm. was because i wasn't a a technical artist i wasn't really good at a lot of the techniques um i needed to be creative and let let those characters come through we'll dive into that like on another episode in depth there's actually a lot to unpack but i remember watching one of my favorite parts, actually, there were two two parts of watching you on a, a face off that were just uh, hilarious and and, and insight, insightful. Um, so first one is oftentimes in reality TV shows, they're always trying to pit people against one another. So they're doing these like little offside interviews, you know, close up one on ones, and they're getting the dirt, you know, on the other people as as the competition is going, and it adds some fun tension. And and race would never say anything like mean about anybody. And as you, what you noticed was that they interviewed him less and less because he wasn't providing like the production value of everyone else who were, they were all having like their, their fits or they were all talking about the drama and race was just, you know, yeah, he's a pretty good guy. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing that I loved, and this was, this was actually really insightful in the beginning of each, uh, each episode, the the camera would go around and look at, at people like kind of, staging and preparing what they were going to make and it would like pan in on a, on a few sketchbooks and you'd see a person with like half a drawing they've been drawing for like 45 minutes see another person with you know something else they'd kind of worked out some concept and they would go to race's sketchbook and there was like 45 pictures on it i mean race <laughs> one of the things that, that that's just kind of amazing about race is how fast he can work and it was nuts and i know that was like a huge advantage because even though they had a technical background, you had 45 concepts to pick from and you had already refined it probably eight or nine iterations by the time that you hit the ground. And then, uh, 
you know, you lack that functional fixedness to where you could see any material as, as whatever it could be. And you were able to achieve, you know, whatever you'd sketched, but it was, it was awesome to watch how fast you worked, you know, and, and not fast as in sloppy. Like this was fast as in good stuff. I mean, it's, it's insane how fast you can paint and draw. I mean, it, you're giving me too much credit, but I, that was very nice of you to say, yeah. but I, you know, uh, I, if there is one thing I am good at is probably sketching fast. Doesn't always mean it's good, but I, I, I am fast at it, at sketching, and I never really thought about it. You know, giving myself opportunity to iterate in those moments, but that may be a lot of it. Is it's not so much being able to sit down and knock something out and it looks perfect. Mm. Um, there's what you do is you give yourself that opportunity to explore it further. You know, and um, yeah, when it came to materials, I never really thought of it that way. But yeah, I didn't look at them as. Uh, needing to be used in a specific way. It was more of that looks like it could be this. I think I'll turn it into that, you know? And because of that, you get more freedom out of the material. Oh yeah. They become more dynamic, you know, which was, you know, and it actually, if we tie it back to, um, I'm sorry, I rambled there and I was taken off course, but the question was, have we, have I seen anything in my professional world that sort of highlighted maybe knowing too much about something? and when you're around it, you know, if you, if you are growing up in some areas, if even if you have parents or, or siblings or other family members that might have um, a tie to that industry or that job, you know, that career path, it's easy to kind of get locked into the processes, the recipes, the procedures mm. to where you know so much about it, but you know, very specific journeys through it. And what it does is it can close off seeing other avenues other approaches, other uh, use cases. And so I think that that's where almost knowing too much about something can actually start to kind of water mm -hmm. it down for you. And maybe that's why it goes back to creation in general, why we're always kind of looking for opportunity to question our reality and see if we can come up with a new way to do something. Brian, sure. um, in your industry, iteration is like key. You, you, what you do at SEL when it comes to the UI UX there's a lot of um, recipes that you've built and constructed yourself, right, as a team. And also kind of for that industry, there's certain pipelines, certain processes to follow. But there's also a level of creativity that comes from building something new and dealing with new problems that you can't really write a recipe for, right? So would you say that in, in the work that you do, there is sort of this dynamic to it? And how has that iterative process, something like taking a sketch, how does it look in UI UX? And maybe why is that a fundamental process or tool? Yeah. So UI UX is interesting because you're making things for people and that person's not yourself typically. In my industry, it's definitely not myself. In some industries, it may be. But oftentimes um, it starts with just deep understanding of, of the needs and wants of people. And I think uh, one of my concepts, like everyone always asks me, they always say, uh, well, what, what do you think, Brian? You're the UX expert. They think that I know the answer and I don't. I just know how to get the answer. The answer is through research. Mm -hmm. The answer is through trying something out and then validating and then iterating so that you can then validate again, and then iterating and then validating again, because you're constantly getting feedback from the end users of what's working and what's not. So um, in UX work, it's all about iteration because 
you're throwing darts at a dartboard and it's okay if the first dart goes wide, but if it's on the board, you know, somewhere that's great. You can design that really quickly and then get some feedback and iterate and throw the next dart a little closer. And Mm. so uh, the whole name of the game really is to minimize the risk of making a product because once the software engineers get a hold of it, you got 30 people writing code and that's just super expensive. So if you find out that the product sucks, um, once they release, you've already invested a hundred thousand bucks to $500,000 in the product. You're not going to be able to just iterate and throw it away. You're going to kind of have to live with it or very slowly fix it. But if it's just one UX person who's, who's working on it and they say it sucks, you can toss in the garbage can and you've lost maybe, you know, 15,000 bucks. That's not a lot to a, a, a big company. That's maybe a little more to a smaller company, but it's just much cheaper. And so sometimes if we dive into, uh, we found that if you go to the finished product too fast, you're going to end up wasting a lot of, a lot of cash. So it's really important to find out ways to stay lean, stay in that sketchbook, you know, before you start, you know, putting makeup on people mm-hmm. and get your idea figured out before you, the glue is setting. Yeah. You know, that's a bad time to figure out that you, your idea doesn't hold water or something or that it's weak. Mm-hmm. So anyways, yeah. Iteration, a lot of that in UX. Okay, so this is this is kind of a, a good topic because young creatives, um, myself included, the the younger you know version of myself, I remember jumping to the end very quickly, mm. and you get an idea and you just go boom, here it is, it's finished. This is the first idea I came up with. I'm taking it through the process. I'm finishing it right. But as you get older, you start to realize that you miss out on a lot of things. You have a lot of failures by the time it's complete. You know, and a lot of it is kind of things you were ignorant to going into that process. And you just kind of assumed it was going to be this or that, and then you finish it. Um, so I think there's a maturity through design, maturity through um, utilizing and harnessing creativity in an appropriate way. Um, but what advice would you give to like young designers that struggle with that, where they, they have a really hard time slowing down and embracing the iterative process? Yeah, I would say assume ignorance. And I still assume ignorance. It's inevitable. There are things that I don't know about a problem that I won't know until I've gotten in there. I've tried things out. I found, you know, the mistakes. I found the edges and the constraints that I'm working in. So that attitude of assumed, just assuming ignorance, like assume that iteration is going to be required and assume that like that's going to actually really benefit the design. it's, It's a good thing because the reality is, is we are ignorant. Whenever we dive into something new, we can't figure it out on paper like the first time. You have to get in there and start making something. And then you're going to have insights. You're going to have tangible experiences with the thing. And hopefully, in our case, validation with other people. And you're going to learn things that you never even imagined. So you're not even going to know what you don't know when you start. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> assume ignorance. That's that's probably it. I think that's just a good, uh, it kind like of uh, helps to settle the old ego a little yeah. bit. I don't know. What is, what's your advice for something like that? I, I like it. I, I like, you know, the idea of uh, embracing the ignorance, you know, to say, hey, you are going to be ignorant, but that probably is giving you a few clues. And, and maybe that means you're supposed to take on the challenge, too. It prompts me to ask some questions, mm-hmm. like lead with questions. Don't lead with like answers. That's a really good posture to be in. Because you can go find some experts because great design is not done in a vacuum. It's not like, what, is, what does Brian have to offer the world? No, it's more like, how can, how can I go and connect with people who understand? And how can I help maybe bring them into it as well and help their insights uh, impact what, what I would think was great? And inevitably, uh, 
as I've been able to bring more people in and start with questions, uh, the result is far better than anything I could have come up with on my own. I guess there's, it's really hard to kind of get rid of ignorance without asking experts anyway, or people who have experience in the domain or whatever. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of part of that process is looking at what has been done, which would, which would identify experts. Yeah. You know, where, where the knowledge has, has, has been taken up to that point. And then, you know, looking at, at maybe the contrast of that and where it hasn't even thought of going. And then maybe somewhere in the middle, you kind of realize that, okay, there, there's the opportunity, you know, which is, which is kind of fascinating. So it, it becomes this, this unique cycle, but it's also a very organic, a very dynamic cycle. And I think that that's probably one of the, the more important takeaways is you have to uh, realize it's chaotic and embrace that chaos to find the right solutions. And also realize maybe it's not going to be the right solution forever, which gives another opportunity in the future to, to revisit some Reiterate. of those things. Yeah, I found, I don't know, I've got this kind of theory that's starting to emerge. It's, it's this theory that if I have an idea or I have a vision or some sort of goal, it's almost always inevitable to happen as long as I am persevering, as I'm willing to keep trying and keep trying. And I look at my failures as great moments of wisdom and insight. We, we grow more and more comfortable with an idea the more times we hear it. So if you're sharing your idea and it gets rejected the first time you, you, you tell it to someone, that does not mean it's a bad idea. That means, oh, that human psychology of people feeling threatened by new ideas is happening. So you bring it up again, you bring it up again in a different way, you bring it up again. And the ideas that really I feel like stick are the ones where people were really um, persistent and they were very mm -hmm. clever and they were just willing to iterate. They were willing to listen and learn, but not give up on it. And so it may not be, I guarantee it won't be the thing that you started with. It'll be better. But yeah, it's, it's inevitable to be successful as long as you're just willing to continue to walk with it and learn with it and not give up on it, you know? Which is actually really exciting to think about because then it's not necessarily dictated on if it's a, a correct path or an incorrect path. What makes it always correct is the persistence of it in a way, right? Yeah, and people will steer you along the path. They'll kind of... Mm -hmm aim it in the right direction, you know, part, maybe part of the reason why someone's rejecting it is because it's just a little bit off and they give you a little bit of a nudge. You take some insight from that mm -hmm. moment to, okay, well, let me just, you didn't like that. Let me just do this. And all of a sudden that it's not the whole idea they didn't like. It was just this one little piece or yeah. something, you know? I, and, and sometimes I think people get caught up in being proud and strong with your idea means that it's going to get to that destination. That's not really what it is. It's really doing whatever it takes to maintain its momentum. So it's almost like a river. There's a rock in the river. You, you, you're like water. You go around it, right? But the rock still influences you because now you're on a little bit different path. Mm. Now, if you are going down a river, flowing really good, and then you get so stubborn, you kind of become a rock and you kind of own that moment of the river, which is great. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're progressing down the river. It just means you're really hard nosed, you know, and and so you you you're locked in your place. But there's a difference, I think, between being this unmovable rock in your idea versus being something that can really be fluid with your idea, but still maintain the momentum to get to your destination. Yeah, it's like how do you be flexible without completely giving up or letting it, yourself get completely derailed? Mm -hmm. And there's an art there for sure. 
Yeah, I, I can definitely look back at my my career and see that that's really been the journey that I've been on. And I'll, I'll dive more into that later. But yeah, we kind of talked about some of the maybe motivations for creativity, mm-hmm. just the ways that that, that we are creative. Um, a little bit about the forms that it can take. I, I wanted to, when we think traditionally about the word creativity, I think a lot of times it, it flows into maybe uh, arts, uh, drama, you know, artsy fartsy stuff. And, and certainly, you know, that's part of creativity. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> and I'm an I'm an artsy fartsy person. I will I will admit that. As am I. Um, but the human experience is about creativity. Uh, you're you're not gonna be able to find an endeavor or or, or an occupation uh, and not be able to identify some form of creativity. At least if you can't find that, you're gonna find a person who's probably very dissatisfied and probably suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, it it's in our DNA to be creative. That that, that kind of to me is what human means, you know. And so this podcast is not focused on any one specific type of creativity, though we'll share from our experiences. But if you find yourself in an engineering field, or um, you know, you're a chef, or a cook, or you work at McDonald's, or you're a coach, or you're a carpenter, or um, you work on an assembly line. This this podcast, hopefully you'll find topics uh, that are relevant. And uh, we really believe in that. I really believe in that. You know, that's I think that's what motivates me to talk about creativity in general. It's also to acknowledge creativity in all in a lot of things. You find creativity in parenting, you find creativity in things, you know, that don't pay you money, but obviously other rewards. Mm-hmm. But what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I agree. I think that it's it does take many forms and it it's also always funny to me when you talk to somebody and they're like, I don't have a creative bone in my body. Right. And you're, I you're, can draw a stick figure. Yeah. And, and some people kind of use it as a, you know, to be more comedic, you know, in their social, social situation. But uh, if you get to, I, I don't think I've met anybody that doesn't have some unique creative side to them. And sometimes, you know, um, I've worked with people that, that kind of have a job where they do the same thing every day over and over and over again. And maybe at that particular job, they've kind of maxed out on how many creative ways to utilize that. Um, maybe. I still think there's always something that can be changed, right? Um, but then you'll find out that, you know, they're, they're the type that, I don't do anything creative for my job. It's just this. I do it over and over again. You know, it's kind of systematic. And then I have, uh, you know, I go home and I, I do my thing. And, and all of a sudden you, you start investigating that. Okay, well, what do you do at home? And and or you go to their house and realize that they built this like amazing um artwork in their uh the, just a landscaping in their house or you know they created some kind of a rock wall and were really creative with the the way that they sort of organized that it might have been different than something that you would see you know a, a contractor or a landscape architect kind of going about something and you start to also investigate passions too i know a lot of people that and I'm not sure there's like a one-to-one relationship here, but sometimes the more rigid your job is in terms of like structure, as far as like the, the day-to-day monotony, right? A lot of them drink alcohol, but then it, also a lot of them, <laughs> nice, right? wait, wait, also a lot of them will have, have sort of become obsessed with it. Like the, like they'll make their own beer, you know, they'll make their own wine. They'll, uh, maybe be like the cocktail master at their parties, right? Or, or like something. So, and I, 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 I'm 
jokingly talking about the the alcoholic thing. You know, I don't want to make that connection, but it, at the same time, um, I know a lot they're of people like shaking that, the martini, yeah, like flipping the glasses. They got all this creative, like, yeah, like showmanship on the uh, bar <laughs> in their basement that they built. But you talked to them earlier that day, and they're like, I don't have a creative bone in my butt, my body. Cut to that night. All right, you know, like <laughs> filling up the glasses and doing this, and then everyone's walking away, and they, you know, what what is in here? This is the best drink I've ever had. You know, it takes some creativity yeah. to pull that off, and there's a lot of small stuff like that. Like that's an example, but there's a lot of that kind of stuff in everyone's daily routine. It's just sometimes it's hard to notice it. It's easy to kind of play it off as eh, I'm just I like doing that stuff, but yeah, you realize that no, there's a passion there, and, and through passion, there's creativity and. And you're doing some really innovative stuff and you don't even realize you're doing it. So future topics that we want to, we want to get into, we want to talk about how to take these creative ideas, this vision and really make it count. So how do you get people on board? How do you get people to, to take your creative idea and run with it with you and support you in it and add to it? And, and, you know, maybe, maybe augment it because there's some blind spots you didn't see. Uh, we all have a lot of creative vision. We all have directions we want to go and we also need help. You know, mm -hmm. I think, one of the things that I, something that I've grown out of later in life, but uh, caused a lot of pain was really trying to go at it alone. I mean, I had friends, mm. I had, I had people around me who, who had great ideas, but I also had an ego that was like the size of a freaking mountain. And, and there's a, there's a lot to unpack there as to why that ego existed. But I think a lot of the times, like I kind of felt like my, my creative expression was kind of a reflection of my self-worth. And mm. that can, I think, can kind of be harmful. It can, it can lead to a lot of unhealthy um, interactions. So mm -hmm. race making it count. I mean, you've tried a lot of things out there. You've put, a, put yourself out there quite, quite a few times. I, I think you hit on a really important part of that. And that's ego, right? If you have success with something, even at a young age, you draw a picture and your parents see it. And, oh, you can do this? Like you have this skill? This is amazing. And now when people are coming over, we're going to show them your artwork, your sketch, you know, look what so-and-so did. And it, it starts to kind of build this. There's a couple of ways it builds. There's this confidence to where you go, yeah, I really enjoy doing this, but it also feels really good to get positive feedback. Right. But then there's also that expectation that's kind of built that I'm a good artist. I can draw well. I can convey these messages and people get it. And I love doing it. And you sort of start to build this structure about yourself. And then when that's challenged, it makes it really hard to stay connected to something. So as an example, you, you don't do your best work. You, you draw that picture, the other 20 that you did that everyone's talking about, you know, it's just way better, but you couldn't get it figured out. You couldn't get it to that level, you know, and you're not sure why. Maybe it was just a weird day. And so all of a sudden you go, well, now I don't want to show this to anybody because it's not, you know, where I should be, or it's not equivalent to, you know, where I am as an artist. And this doesn't um, showcase my true abilities. So now I'm, now I'm, I feel shame with this and I pull it back and no one sees it. The problem is you can get caught in that loop and all of a sudden you're not showing anything month after month after month. You're not producing anything. You actually just quit, you know, altogether. And so making it count, it's, you have to always be able to find a connection with everything that you're doing. And sometimes it's okay to not be the best. And then other times it's okay to be proud of what you've accomplished, you know, 
keeping a really healthy balance of those perspectives, I think is key. Um, I've produced a lot of things that don't count when it comes to finances, you know, financially, I did a lot of work out there that just sort of made me five bucks or no money at all. And I did it because it felt good. And the worst thing I can do is sit there and look at that and go, oh, well, that holds no value because I didn't get to this level or I didn't sell it or I didn't, you know, or you can look at it and say, no, it actually holds a ton of value because in that moment, in that stage of my life, I really needed to express these ideas. Mm. And that might just be for me to look back on and, and hold as a memory, but it's not a waste of time. It's not not worth it. And and so I think it, it's more kind of about a healthy relationship with creativity that makes it count. Sure. And And also, I think the most important thing is probably making it count means you're just doing it. You continue to do it. You continue to to feed that beast or it feeds you, depending on who's eating what. But, <laughs> you know, so I don't know if that makes any sense, but. Uh, oh, there's there's a lot to it. Those three words, you know, we're talking about making it count to the world, having an impact, making it count to oneself, to myself, um, being able to appreciate what I've done, regardless if it's accepted or rejected from others. Um, there's a lot. You know, why do we form these egos or these unhealthy attachments? Why do we form these fears around our creative expression? And, and, and how do these things like become an extension of us? We want to talk about those, some of the, the pitfalls, also some of the, the really the strength and the beauty of the idea that we can find so much meaning in our creations, that if we can go about it in a healthy way, yes, we can, we can maybe change the world and we can have our vision accepted and whatever, but maybe more so than that that we love what we do the whole time. I think that's that's the biggest thing mm -hmm. is finding joy in the work that we are a part of. Now, that doesn't mean challenge-free or stress-free, but finding joy in it, finding that we're discovering more of ourselves each day, you know, not getting stuck in that grind, that that we appreciate the work that we do, even if, you know, we have challenges and hurdles to get it accepted by others. That That's not a reflection of its value. But, well, any any closing thoughts, Race? Well, I think, I think it's a great topic. I think it's a great conversation. I think that there's always going to be the, the devil on the shoulder when it comes to creativity and, you know, you're always going to have that doubt and it is important to just continue moving forward on it, you know, and find a perspective, find a scenario that makes the work that you do that is creative, make sure that you find an appropriate way to look at that and say, this is good for me. Mm. You know, this is good for Maybe because I was feeling down today, um, maybe this helps others and that makes me feel good. You know, maybe I, I gain a few bucks and I can go buy a great burrito. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's like you, you have to be able to, to find that perspective that gives you value on what you do and keep that shit moving. Yeah. Because I think that as we go back to the beginning, it's it's probably the most human part of us, you know, being creative, telling stories. And we're hoping to hear a lot from those of you out there dealing with creativity, uh, trying to make it count, you know, and give meaning to what you're doing. And, um, you know, hopefully we get to, to talk to a lot of people who have had some pretty wild adventures is the idea, you know, and, and celebrate those adventures, celebrate those, those journeys through creativity and, and life. And I think we're going to have a lot of fun. I think so too, man. Yeah. So Thanks for hanging out with us. We are excited to share our creative journeys through this podcast and hopefully share the mic with several other extremely creative people in our community, uh, people we know outside the community. Just, uh, yeah, creative minds who have creative journeys that might have 
some words of wisdom for you. Brian, Brian, let me ask you this. Yes, Race. If we have some listeners out there that want to get a hold of us, see what we're up to, maybe send us a message or two. Oh, how would they do that? Well, in 2022, there's a thing called Twitter. Mm-hmm. And you might uh, send us a tweet, a message, a question um, at uh, hashtag JuneCast. That's J-U-U-N-C-A-S-T. We also actually have an Instagram and that's June underscore cast. You can see some of the goofy stuff that we're getting up to. Maybe we'll we'll document a little bit of the making of the podcast and uh, some of the just adventures that we may uh, make some references to. Should be a good time. Really weird, bizarre stuff, hopefully. Probably. Um, you might eventually see some artwork yeah. of an actual Jurassic unicorn. There have been rumors. There have been rumors, yeah. So that'll be fun. Yeah. We'll catch you next time.